If this life is driving you to drink, you sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, 'cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hello, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen, and I'm Erin Jones, and this is Agitpod. Our, Ooh. I was going to say fortnightly podcast, but it's basically our podcast whenever it happens. Slacky mix slacks and right. To be honest with you, just uh, in our pathetic defence, we've you know we've allegedly got lies. We've been on holiday. It's been a long year. To be honest, it has been a. It's had its it's had its ups and downs. Actually, it has had some ups though. Not just being sarky there. It's had some downs, but um, we just needed to get away to avoid having a meltdown. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah. Well, also, we didn't actually go on holiday together. We don't do everything together. No. Well, I'd like to though. Although I did get many updates from Owen's holiday. You were you were sunning it up, weren't you? Giving it all that. I was in. Yeah. I went to Italy, right? I know it sounds a bit. Oh, I went, I went to Tuscany. I don't have a Tuscan villa. Don't do this. Oh, it's a champagne socialist. Unless you live in a box in the middle of nowhere, then you're sold out your traitor i was literally just staying in a bnb which was a castle but it was a bnb and a castle it was weird but interesting i went to spain and espana hola <laughs> Nina. and i fought some bulls and i did flamenco and all of the other things that owen seems to think spain is like what happens in spain when you're there i mean it's gone a bit ukippy this podcast doesn't it it has it has. It was only right at a time. It was inevitable eventually. They do say you get more conservative with age. With us, it's happened in six weeks. Or <laughs> been Within hours, in my case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anything, I think Nigel Farage is a pinko liberal. Doesn't go far enough. That was always his problem. <laughs> he would have won one of those seven elections that he lost in a humiliating mm. way had he gone further or something. Anyway, that aside, what are we talking about today? Right, should we kick off on a subject which... I, th- I think it always brings out the best in people, Brexit. I think it just brings out kind of really thoughtful, really, nuanced yeah, really debate. It really brings people together, doesn't it, Brexit? It really does. I just think this is, a, you know, at the moment, people just, oh, they're loving all the... the it's, we're just one loved-up country. Um, and, and, and as soon as you talk about Brexit, well, it goes horribly wrong, doesn't it? I mean, right, Brexit. What I'd kick off in terms of where, you know, me and Brexit, because at the moment, I know me and Ellie, we discussed before we did, did this, we're not going to go all Twitter-centric. There's always the tendency, we got this, you know, when the left was being baited, to go on about a few Twitter profiles and go, who were obviously being very unreasonable, and then go, the evil left, look at how unreasonable and outrageous they are when it's just a few weirdos on Twitter. No offence yeah. to them, but they're weird. But um, I have had repeated Twitter storms, and the way these Twitter storms kind of unfold it's almost like you'd think i'm nigel farage um because these are people who are obviously very angry about brexit which i understand i want to overturn the referendum now i a year before the eu referendum i laid out left-wing criticisms of the eu and said the left needed to debate whether we should leave i came to a very firm conclusion no not because my criticisms of the eu are null and void because I'm on the left and I'm very critical of it in its current form. So my view was we have to change it, so we have to stay. So I campaigned very passionately for Remain as part of another Europe is possible, went around the country, went on TV, you know, gave it welly. After, you know, the day of the referendum was the the result, when the result came in, one of the worst days of my life. And we saw, you know, this horrendous, bigoted, xenophobic, lying leave campaign uh, the consequences of it, which were people getting abused and spat out on the streets, BME people, people from different European countries. 
Um, and, you know, my view is, you know, after that, there was this idea that if you were critical um, of the Leave campaigns and of the former Brexit the Tories were pursuing, then you were seen as a traitor. Enemies of the people, to coin a phrase, the saboteurs and all the rest of it. Intolerant, undemocratic language used to stigmatise, in fact, delegitimise a big chunk of the British population. But it is also my view that we lost, didn't we, that referendum. Therefore, yeah. the issue is what sort of Brexit do we have? And that's what makes people angry. But just quickly on that, because I'm babbling now and Ellie needs to speak. But Desperately. Yeah, I mean, I just think if I am the enemy because I support a soft Brexit um, rather than overturning the referendum result, then good luck with the rest of the electorate. I think that the reasons that people voted to leave and remain are very complex. I think that, um, you know, if, if you were to read the papers, you'd think that everyone who voted to remain did so because they, like, want this kind of cosmopolitan, kind of free tradey Britain. And everyone who voted to leave did so because they're, like reactionary racists and I actually think that people's reasons for voting to leave and remain are just a bit more complicated than that and it they can't, people can't necessarily be put into those boxes so I just think that the debate that we're having about Brexit in the media like as it's playing out in the media is not reflective of what is happening in the country and I think the majority of people kind of feel like well we should probably do it now if that's what the polling shows if, if it's been voted for and I also think that I mean, I'm, I'm, I think we should stay in the single market. I disagree with Labour on, on that. Um, but I'm not really, I'm just not very enthusiastic about the kind of sort of Romaniac thing that's happening at the moment where there's this real like, you know, you have lots of commentators saying, we can, we can still stay in the EU, we can still beat Brexit, it doesn't have to happen. And I feel like often what they're actually saying is that they want to go back to two years ago before any of the recent political shocks have happened and just have everything back the way it was. And they've kind of focused all of their energies on Brexit as like, if we can just reverse this, then all of this stuff, all of this populism that we don't like will just go away. And I just think it's too late for that now. That, isn't, that, that stuff can never be reversed. We're in a different political era and people just need to catch up and yeah. decide what they're going to do about that. I mean, I'm with you on that. I, I signed um, a statement, the Labour campaign for free movement. So I support um, what would be hypocritical for me to oppose free movement across Europe the reason for that is I've spent years banging on on TV, radio, articles saying, you know, it's not EU migrants who are responsible for people's wages stagnating or for people not getting decent jobs or for not having an affordable home to live in. So if I now go back on and say, no, we, get, we need to get rid of free movement, I'm a hypocrite. It just makes me hypocritical because deep down, I do not believe that EU migrants are, are forcing down people's wages. That said... You know, I support strengthening workers' rights to stop any undercutting, because undercutting can happen in certain sectors. As a general rule, it's not the cause, and it lets the powerful off the hook. That's what I've always said. The bosses are responsible. If there are circumstances where uh, wages are cut, particularly at the lower end, you can obviously enforce stronger rights. Everyone has to be employed in the same terms and conditions. A genuine living wage, strong trade unions. But I can't go back on that. Equally... You know, I would support going in a single, staying in the single market and the customs union. I've said that over and over again. There is a problem there. I mean, let's just be honest. There's a massive problem because 
If you stay in the customs union and a single market, then you are bound by EU laws, but you no longer contribute to them. And it ends up, will end up, the danger is, with a caricature of what the EU was portrayed as during the referendum, which is that this is an undemocratic, a wholly undemocratic institution which imposes laws on us without our consent, which wasn't actually technically true. There were lots of undemocratic problems with it, but that wasn't true. But now we'll end up where we don't vote for the European in the European Parliament, our government's not represented and, and, and has no veto or anything like that. And, and you end up with, you know, it's like back to the American Revolution, no taxation without representation. We pay into something where we have no say over it. So you end up that, with, and this is why leaving was such a bad idea in the referendum, you end up either where you stay in the single market and the customs union, but then there's a massive democratic deficit, or you leave both and there's massive economic pain, and the people who suffer the most from that are probably disproportionately people who voted to leave. Is there an easy answer to that dilemma? No, you'd think there was, given the way people respond on Twitter. But equally, overturning that referendum, I mean, some people on Twitter go, it was only advisory. And I just think, just come back to the real world. Technically, constitutionally, that's true. But it was presented to the people as being a binding referendum, the result of which would be honoured. And, you know, if you then, you know, because people talk about lies justifiably during the campaign by the Leave campaign, if you then go, oh, actually, I know we said it was binding, but it wasn't really, and now we're just going to ignore the result, that would cause such catastrophic damage to our democracy. Also, having another referendum, you could argue, is, I mean, what happens if we narr if Remain narrowly win it? Yeah, I mean... The Brexiteers, we can't tell them they can't have another referendum, and then we're stuck in a neverendum. So basically, it is a mess, <laughs> but I just... It, it is! I know it's a mess. It's an actual cat terrible mess. The neverendum story. The neverendum story. Uh, <laughs> At least you've got the theme song sorted. That's going to be in your head all day after listening to this podcast. That's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, loyal listeners. <laughs> down your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, we're just going to force you to have really irritating earworms. Earworms, whatever. <laughs> earworms. Earworms? <laughs> Where did that earworms? It just, uh, Where did that come from? Nowhere. That was bizarre. Anyway... I also want to talk about, I think we should cover another subject that's come up around this issue recently, which is why do people who voted Remain and think that leaving is a bad idea still support Jeremy Corbyn? And I think I would like to cover that. I would like to answer this question because I still support Jeremy Corbyn and I don't really feel much of a dilemma about the fact that I voted to Remain. Why are you saying this? Just explain though, I think. Why am I? Why saying? you're saying? Why if you support? You know, I support Remain. Even oh, because um, Jeremy Corbyn. Well, because the Labour the Labour position is that we would leave the single market, and they would negotiate for access to, but not membership of the single market. So basically, they're planning on seeing Brexit through, and they want to do it on much better terms than the Tories, um, and they want to protect jobs. They want to protect the rights of EU citizens and so on. But essentially, they would they would Brexit. And so people who are very, very passionately remain and think that Brexit is like the only issue facing the country, um, they don't understand why people like me could vo vote remain, could think Brexit is a bad idea, but also still support the Labour Party and, and Jeremy Corbyn. And the reason for that is, that I'll tell you why, that I went to um, Blackpool recently for a story, a potential story I'm thinking of writing, and um, I interviewed lots of people who live there. Blackpool's got some of the worst deprivation in the country. It's got, unfortunately, a very high uh, youth suicide rate. 
it's got uh, like a heroin problem. It's got lots of problems. It's also like really wonderful place in lots of ways. But it I used to go as a kid, to, uh, as a teenager, see the lights. And friends. let me tell you, it has not changed because I used to go with my nan when I was a kid and I was actually, it twisted my melon, man. <laughs> I was quite freaked out when I got there and I was like, oh my God, it's exactly the same. I was kind of freaked out, but also very charmed, I would say, and got a little bit emotional about it. It was like kind of going through a porthole into your childhood. Anyway. Ooh. New, 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 new. Anyway, um, so yeah, and I and I interviewed loads of people who lived in Blackpool, and um, and I asked, you know, one guy, how did you vote? And he said, leave. And let me tell you, like ninety percent of the people I spoke to voted leave. And I was like, um, oh, and why did you why did you vote leave? And he was like, well, what has the EU ever done for Blackpool? And obviously, the answer is that EU get like Blackpool gets lots of structural funding, but when you go there and you like see the problems and you talk to the people there about how there's no work, there's no opportunities, there's only low paid work, that they feel exploited, they feel ignored. And then you say to them, like, the EU has been good for you. Like, they are well within their rights to just laugh in your face when you say that to them. Because actually, the EU hasn't been good for Blackpool. It has been left to decline. And that's why I just don't really agree with all of these Remainers who think that Brexit is some kind of linchpin. I don't think that Brexit is like the kind of the deciding factor on whether places like Blackpool have some kind of investment or mm. whether they suffer or not, because we already were in the EU and it's just been allowed to decline. Mm. Like for me, that what you need for that is a government that genuinely politically believes in investing yeah. in places like Blackpool and wants, you know, has an ideological desire to end austerity and to invest in the public sector and and that to me is more important than staying in the eu yeah i mean i mean i think what you're touching on is very important there because and very interesting because i think the problem with a lot of the what i call hard remainers but this really winds people up i know but suck it up um it, it, what i mean by fanatical remainers yeah I'm, zealous remainers extremist <laughs> remainers remainers i'm joking all right <laughs> We're both joking. We're both. Please don't send us hate mail. We're most, mostly joking. Um, or send all the hate mail to Owen. Yeah, I mean, the, look, the polling suggests that most people who voted Remain think we should accept the referendum result. And if they're now the enemy for those who want to overturn the EU referendum, then good luck with the rest of the country. And that's my problem, I think, is you are more than entitled to argue in a democracy for a second referendum. You can even argue for overturning the referendum result in Parliament. I think that would be a very bad move indeed, but technically it's a parliamentary democracy and you can argue for that. Of course you can. But what we're seeing at the moment are people obviously who are, you know, grieving partly. I mean, a lot of it is angry grief, but they don't have a strategy at all other than lashing out, including at people like me who voted Remain and oppose a hard Brexit. Now, you know, I and a campaign on everything from you know free movement in Europe and opposing anti-immigration scapegoating and all the rest, because there seems to be partly a kind of top-down approach, which is we'll kind of subvert it through the courts or Parliament, or a lot of it is a lack of interest in the Leave voters you've spoken about, a lack of trying to understand why people voted to leave in this country, just seeing it as an act of total madness, which doesn't even need to be understood in the slightest. When you know. In a sense, that the Remainers, the hard Remainers who want to overturn the referendum should actually learn from the left. The left, which was very marginalised in British politics. And what, what did we do? We waged a campaign of grassroots activity, movements across the country, protests, rallies, all the rest, to try and win hearts and minds and build a movement that could change people's views. Now, if you just think, basically, that 
you know, and, and this is the irony is that a lot of these people are becoming a bit like Trotskyists. Now, this is going to wind people up. Can I explain what I mean by this? And this is a car- Boy, am I glad I'm not on Twitter at the moment. This is a caricature of uh, of Trotskyists as well. So I also apologise to Trotskyists listening. What I mean by being kind of like a, uh, the caricature of Trotskyists is a kind of remainder that believes in false consciousness. This is what Trotskyists are always accused of, that the masses are suffering from false consciousness, which means they support the existing order, even though it's against their own interests. That's one problem that a lot of these remainers have. Another is just... Uh, intolerance of people on their own side who don't sign up to their own form of ideological purity, including people who support a soft Brexit, who they need to win over, but regard as implacable opponents, if my Twitter feed uh, is anything to go by. A belief in what you could call immiseration theory. Boy, I'm coming up with other sexy concepts today, which is basically... Just wait for people's lives to get worse and worse and they'll magically just change their mind and come over to your uh, to your point of view. And the other is basically vanguardism, which is you need elites on behalf of the masses to make decisions, whether it be in the courts, in this case, uh, rather than a revolutionary party, or in parliament. Now, I just don't think that's going to work. I think what people need to do is charm people and win people over and love bomb them, not go around going snarling at everyone for a bit. I'm being called traitors. Turn up to Blackpool with a box of milk tray and a turtleneck. That's what you're saying. Give them hugs. Sit, stand around giving people hugs. At the moment, if it comes across like a very bunch of, you know, a, a group of elitists who have contempt for people who voted leave, that's not going to change people's minds. It's going to harden people's opinions and polarise an already polarised country. So my advice would be, because if we have a second referendum, I would vote to remain in the European Union. Um, and so, you know, but I, I don't think the odds of a second referendum are high, um, and I don't think it's a good idea to campaign for one, but it's up to people if they want to do that. But if you want to win people over, you've got to have a strategy which goes beyond frothing at the mouth and ranting on Twitter with pictures of the EU flag, uh, calling yourself saboteurs uh, and and, and (laughs) and denouncing anybody who doesn't support basically overturning the referendum result by yesterday or something. But what we're seeing, like, this is a group of people that, like, the left has been in a bit of a fight with over the last year, maybe, that we would call centrists, which is basically people who... How would you describe centrists? They're people who essentially believe in the third way, really, aren't they? That they are economically liberal. Socially liberal. And socially liberal. So that means that they, like, uh, believe in a deregulated free market. Um, They are happy for uh, public sector cuts to happen. Um, But also that they believe in, like, women's rights and LGBT rights. Often not the T, though, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Sorry. LGB rights. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of what centrism is. And, and you know, it sort of incorporates maybe some people who are slightly more to the right and more to the left, mm-hmm. who kind of, you know, it's, it's a kind of a broad church, the centrist church. And I think what, what has happened is um, this group of people have become more and more sort of irate especially yeah. since the election. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because party's over for them, isn't it, really? I think um, they feel very anxious about the fact that their political constituency doesn't have any representation anymore. You've got a very right-wing Tory party and the most left-wing Labour party there's ever been, well, Labour leadership. And, um, you know, the only centrist party, the Lib Dems, isn't doing very well. And there really just isn't... 
you know, centrism as a as a political ideology doesn't really have much constituency in the country and it doesn't really have any representation but it still like colonizes quite a lot of our institutions like a lot of ngos like think tanks and media Mm. and lots of people who are kind of in administrative positions in in politics Mm -hmm. not necessarily like mps are still centrist so there's this sort of weird tension at the moment where like it's kind of died as an ideology um, it doesn't have much sway in the country. It doesn't have any representation in the two parties, in the leadership of the two parties. But in this kind of middle tier or this sort of outer tier mm-hmm. of democracy, it still is is the dominant ideology. And I think what what we were saying yesterday, actually, I saw Owen yesterday and we were talking about this kind of stuff. And we were saying actually in some ways as leftists at the moment, even though we just did really well in the general election and we and like nearly 13 million people voted for a very left-wing Labour Party. It be, being a, a leftist in the media at the moment, you almost feel more isolated yeah. because that group of people are so constantly mm-hmm. on the attack all the time and very keen to sort of defend themselves. Yeah, I think... Look, and I think this Brexit stuff is another symptom of that as well. Yeah, I mean, we've both spent the last <clears throat> two years having that group tell us over and over again that we are partly responsible for the destruction of the Labour Party. And I had that every single day between Jeremy Corbyn standing to be leader uh, to election night. Every single day without any exception. And it was constantly like, repent, repent, repent. Even when I ended up saying, well, I just don't think this is going to work. The polling is so bad that I don't see the way back and suggested another left-wing leader could take over instead. But, you know, for these people, nothing was ever enough. It was repent, 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 repent. And I think, obviously, what happened in the result of the election, which was not, obviously, what they'd expected, or frankly, a lot of them, just be honest, hoped for. And, uh, you know, when that happened, a, the, the, the linchpin of what a lot of them would argue, because they would argue they felt the policies were wrong, but that wasn't the, the, the ground on which they'd argue. They'd argue, electorally, this is catastrophic, that it will lead to an electoral meltdown, which could wipe out Labour as a political force in this country, and therefore the people the Labour Party was set up to represent will suffer, and that's your fault. Their suffering is on you. That's what they said. Literally, some of them tweeted that. Yeah, um, I remember. Some of them wrote articles about it as well. I yeah, and it was like, you know, how dare you? Your self-indulgent, selfish ideology, um, and it's all right for you. You'll get paid by the media. These people will suffer as a consequence. Now, you would have thought after the election that bitterness would subside, but it has got worse. Un- undeniably, Brexit, I'm not saying all Bre- hard Brexiteers are centrist, there's a big overlap, but a lot of those... Hard Remainers, you mean? Oh, sorry, hard Remainers, hard Remainers, oops. But they, they, they've become, because now they've, they've picked up, they've realised they need a point of principle to justify their ideological existence, and Remain is it, and it shows, again, they can go, you're betraying the poorest people in society. They've, they've just shifted their main thrust of their argument, but they're saying the same thing in a very bitter, in a very bitter way. And I think, again, with the centrists, is they are in danger of becoming a cult. And this is very aggravating for them to hear because the, one of their main arguments is the left is a cult. It's difficult they're to, sensible. Well, it's difficult mm. to argue that when nearly 13 million people vote for a Labour Party led by Jamie Corbyn. Uh, it's just, it's not that tenable. And, you know... It's one hell of a cult. <laughs> it's quite the cult, isn't it? <laughs> Particularly if you talk about... I've got to say, our meetings are getting a bit packed. <laughs> it's getting, it's getting a logistical nightmare. We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, particularly people in their teens, 20s and 30s, overwhelmingly now, politics and, and their 40s even, have shifted. But with, again, the centrists, it's this bitterness and this anger. Um, 
and, and, and they're not, again, this is what they said about the left, it's not clear, other than Remain, what they're for. And and they are often, they'll go, oh, we don't do a personality cult. Well, Tony Blair, Hillary Clinton, often, Macron, their patron saints. Macron. Macron, who's, you know, again, he was their great hope. He only won because he got 24% in the first round. Then he was up against a fascist. And now his opinion ratings are collapsing, like he's falling like a stone. He's more unpopular in France now than Donald Trump is in America. That's their great hope. Now, that is aggravating for them because they're now in the same position the left is. The difference is they think that they're the normal rulers. They think this is all like some terrible administrative error, that mm. something's gone wrong. And they have this kind of, I genuinely think, a born-to-rule mentality. They simply cannot believe the left they regarded as a bunch of delusional children, because it was always we were always infantilised, could possibly be the dominant force in uh, in the non-Tory section of the British population. And and, and I just think, again... If the thing I, is, that for, except for the calling us children, for three decades, they they were right. Like, they were the dominant force for three decades and they and they and like you know if 10 years ago if you decided right and i i want to be a labor mp so what i'm going to do is toe the party line i'm going to get a job as a spad and then i'm going to run for like local councillor or you know and then i'm going to be an mp and i'm never going to get a real job and i'm just going to say what the party leadership says and then i'll just be put into a safe seat like you were probably right like that is probably like what would have happened, and now all that's been turned on its head, and I think that is why they're, why they're like finding it so difficult to come to terms with what's the the, the huge political shift because it's happened very quickly. I think it's been building since the financial crisis, personally, Definitely, yeah. and um, even but, before. Yeah, like I mean, you could say go far as back as Iraq or nine yeah. eleven when these things first started. Trade union shifting to the left. Yeah, kind of yeah, but um, but for me, like the financial crisis was the big catalyst. But actually, because because like neoliberalism was so embedded in all of our institutions, the reaction to the financial crisis has been very delayed. And it's only really in the last couple of years that we've seen the popular anger that we were expecting to see at the time. And so what I think is you've had three year, three and um, three decades of relative stability mm-hmm. um, in terms of like the dominant political ideology, in terms of like the type of people who are in power and in terms of like... Um, both political parties being relatively similar, particularly economically. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the space of like two years, like maybe three, you could say, with the Scotland referendum, things have suddenly changed and it's like comes a big shock for them and they mm-hmm. can't really come to terms with it. And that's why they think. And in some ways I sort of think, well, I don't really blame them because they've had three year decades of of this particular way and then mm. two years of another way. So it's, it's not really that surprising that they think that the, the three decades is the normal bit. But actually, I think the change that we're seeing in the last couple of years is permanent and there's no way back. Or at least it's like, you know, it's not it, it, it's not a flash in the pan, mm. basically. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's not so much... I, I normally say they just want to go back to 1997, you know, which would have been odd. Like, in 1997, people going, let's go back to 1977, which is, but I mean, that's what they accuse the left of wanting. But, you know, it was 20 years ago. Things are very, very different in Britain and in the world than they were in the, in the late 90s. And the brand of politics that dominated the West is just not dominating the West anymore. And there were economic and social reasons for that. But what they're trying to do now, it, well, there's rumours abounding of a new centrist party being set up. Um, James Chapman, who started off as the Daily Mail political editor, the natural kind of vanguard of a centrist party. I don't want to be harsh, he seems like a lovely guy. But then he ended up working for George Osborne, then David, and, and you know, and he did, he was a kind of Remain campaign guy, but then he was David Davis's, the Brexit secretary's 
campaigner, and now he's got this, uh, sorry, campaigner, advisor, but now he's got this big stop Brexit, it's a calamity, let's up a new party. He's saying there are lots of interested people. The rumours of George Osborne after the referendum approaching various Labour MPs to say, let's do it, let's set it up. Again, I mean, I think the problem here is, I mean, you could go, well, we did this, didn't we? Well, we didn't, definitely not. But it was tried by people in the early 80s, the Social Democratic Party, and which which got, because of our electoral system, a derisory number of seats. It at least had the advantage of having towering politicians. Um, and at the time, Labour obviously was doing... Name some of the politicians. Shirley Williams was involved, wasn't Bill she? Bill Rogers, David Owen. Yeah, these were people who were like, were, were towering figures in the Labour Party. They were, they were former cabinet members i think the problem that they've got that wing is labor's just got its third highest share of the vote for 43 years and i think they're flattered by the fact that within the media there is a constituency of people who give them disproportionate voice and influence given that they've lost popular traction and they've got lots of delusions about they think young people, all they care about is Brexit and Remain, even though Labour voted to trigger Article 50 repeatedly mm -hmm. before the general election and in no way campaigned against Brexit. Well, I canvassed a lot and the only people who brought up Remain said that they were Remainers were all like in their 40s. Yeah, I very rarely came across people who even spoke about Brexit in the, in the election, yeah. to be honest. Um, I, I get like the truth is our electoral system doesn't doesn't allow what they want to do. They don't have leading figures. It would be basically a bunch of failed, discredited politicians from the Cameron Blair era. They should make that into their slogan: <laughs> centrism. A bunch of failed, discredited politicians from the Cameron Blair era. In quote marks on all of their banners. Accurate, at least. Yeah. It just you know they might end up getting about 5% of the vote, which would be annoying because that could keep the Tories in power. It could keep... I mean, sure, I'm sure it could claw out a chunk of the Labour vote, uh, which wouldn't be very much, but enough to to mean Labour doesn't win an election. But I just think that utterly... They look at France and Macron with a different political and, and electoral context. And again, you know... But also, it, it, it was a T-round presidential contest and he beat a fascist. Yeah. He beat Marine Le Pen and like 68% of people who voted for him said they voted for him to keep her out. So I guess we could like put a fascist up against them. <laughs> Maybe we'll win that way, but do we want to take a risk? Yeah, so I just think, I don't know what centrism has to offer. I think a party bound together just by wanting to stop Brexit would fall apart because of its own internal contradictions, If it had, unless it has nothing else to say, in which case it wouldn't win people over. There's no space for another neoliberal party. The Lib Dems, they're there, they exist. And they, they went down, their vote share went down. And they're the ones who are the mm. stop Brexiteers. If it was such a burning issue, people would have voted for the Liberal Democrats in great number. They didn't. Labour didn't pretend they were going to stop Brexit. It's not like they were nudge, nudge, wink, wink. They never said that. Uh, they they activated Article 50 before the result. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, I just think we're centrist. I would say to them again, you know, just I don't want to force feed you what you've had to tell us for years, but it, it you, you've lost your basis. And... Unless there's a dramatic turnaround, I mean, it took us about 35, 40 years to return as political force, so better be patient, then it's just it's just not working. People don't like what you're selling. I would say, to as, as someone I saw a while ago on Twitter, I would say, look, centrism has some good ideas, and, you know, in an ideal world, we'd love to implement them, but we have to be grown up about this, and for now, we need socialism. Yeah, we just need to be, you know, it's about electoral reality. We need to be realistic. I mean... 
we've got to, unfortunately, if we want political power, then to change people's lives, which is the only way you can change people's lives, you've got to win people over. And we can only do that with left-wing ideas. Yeah, I'm sorry. There will be a time for centrism, I think, you know, if you like, you know, if you just accept the electoral realities of the situation, but... Because at the so end, now socialism is the only thing that works. I mean, if we go from thirty percent to forty percent in the space of two years by moving to the left, then again, electoral reality. Why would moving to the right win more votes? Anyway, trollalalal. On a lighter note, do you remember that that website? No, what are you talking about? Okay, if you Google trollalalalalal, you'll just get a guy singing trollalalal like that. Anyway, sounds really Maybe cut that out, Alex. No, keep it in. Keep it in. Okay. And keep it in. Alex is the producer. Oh yeah, he should be named. So yeah, we just... never talk about Alex. Alex is the producer. He does all the hard work. We just babble in front of a massive grey silver microphone, which looks Hi, Alex. looks a bit phallic. It's definitely going to cut this the, out. the microphone. Looks phallic, not the producer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is definitely getting cut out then. I don't think it should. Carry on. Yeah, keep it in. Okay, so anyway, on a lighter note, war. <laughs> uh. What is it good for? Uh. Fluffing Donald Trump's ego. So anyway, we're at war. So um, you're listening to well, this. Well, we're not. <laughs> well, you're listening to this in the ruins of Western uh, global Yeah, wouldn't it be so annoying if you were like, if this was like the kind of post-apocalypse nuclear winter and there was some poor person like who'd found a transmitter and was like, oh, thank God. And then they were like twisting the dial, like, please, any communication. And it was just me and you being like, anyway, so the problem with centrism is they're like, not now, Ajitpon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living in a nuclear irradiated landscape. I don't want to talk about third way ideology. I've got better things to do, like not eating nuclear irradiated water, eat it or whatever. Well, anyway, so uh, war. Yeah, so Donald Trump and um, King Jong Un are. Um, I've seen the word used in several newspaper articles. They're being bellicose. Hmm. Bellicose. Well, um, so. I mean, the funny thing is, because Donald Trump called for fire and fury against North Korea, and some people genuinely thought they was reading the North Korean statement. Uh, <laughs> and he's also, they've said as well... Was it, and the animals looked from pig to man, and man <laughs> to pig, and neither could tell which was which. They also have warned North Korea to cease any consideration of actions that would lead to the end of its regime and the destruction of its people. Just casually talking about the genocidal extermination of over 25 million people. Lovely, that's cheery, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and like Kim Jong-un is bad, but like people living in North Korea are just people. They're just like victims of like the regime that they live under, most of them. So I feel like it's not okay to bomb them, really. But you know what I was thinking? It's interesting that we're doing this now, where this has come up now, so soon after the debate around uh, nuclear weapons during the election. Do you remember? And there was this whole thing about like, would Jeremy Corbyn press the red button? And he was sort of treated like a real weakling because he said no. And now I kind of feel like, well, look at what happens when you've got two politicians who are like super willing to press the red button, you know. Like, I kind of feel like disarmament doesn't seem like such a bad idea now. Yeah, I mean, for me, I have to say, I'm not a massive fan of nuclear uh, bombs and war as a general, just as a general rule, really. There's a brilliant... um, uh, program called uh, Threads. Oh my god! Well, it's not brilliant. Owen, Owen made me watch that once. The um, opening scene is like pretty terrifying. Isn't no, the opening scene where everything explodes? No, no, that happens about halfway through. Oh no! Maybe fir- you just made me watch that bit. No, the first thing, not to freak everyone out, because I wouldn't recommend watching it if if you have a nervous position in the current crisis. But <laughs> uh, 
bas- basically in it people are just getting on with their life chat to people but in the background the radio occasionally talks of you know in this case a, a growing confrontation between the Soviet bloc and the West in Iran and it's just kind of and everyone's going oh, just ignoring it and then it gets more and more kind of like Argh. no seriously guys this is, this is and people good. are starting to genuinely worry but still get on with their lives and then they all get wiped out <laughs> so anyway it's, uh, it's, it's not going to calm you down no I mean basically um, the gist of threads is if nuclear war happens there is no hope nothing not even not like literally nothing left like everything gets the vast majority of people die and you end up wishing you were one of them that's basically the gist of it uh where agriculture and growing food that's impossible you live in a nuclear winter uh everyone goes around attacking and killing each other out of desperation and yeah i mean it, it's just it's pretty miserable and grim there's 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 nothing there's nothing uh there's, no, there's very few upsides, but quite a lot of downsides. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with it is, is look, with North Korea, is I think we know they're pretty, um, you know, is a, a... Rambunctious. Yeah, that word I'm going to use more often. <laughs> with the, the North Korea thing is, is, it's just, obviously, they are what they are, and Donald Trump is the worst possible president given everything because he's got a similar mentality so we're, we're stuck in a cycle and now what will happen is each side will be like oh blimey they're going to strike me first so then they're going to unload the nuclear arsenal that didn't need to happen so north korea now are in this position where they're a bunch of fanatics who uh but they are themselves what they're using the nuclear program for is to try and extract concessions like getting rid of sanctions and stuff and um, but if you end up where you've got Two rats which feel the other rats cornered them. Does that work? <laughs> two rats? Yeah. Two giant the rats, rats. corner each other. Two giant rats with very big... Yeah, no, Have you don't. seen rats cornering each other? No, but if you corner a rat, that's the phrase, like a cornered rat. Is it? Yeah, if you've got a... Cor- not like... For, normally it's a, a person or something. If you corner a rat, they go absolutely ballistic. <laughs> Do they? Yes. Have you ever tried a rat? No, it's an expression, Ellie, but it's an expression based you look in verifiable you- anecdote. Can you look on YouTube and see? Can oh, we look- I'm okay. literally caught We're gonna you. we're gonna please bear with us. We're gonna Wait a minute, like a cornered rat. I can't believe I have to do de- Oh look, it's already come up. Here we go. Like a cornered rat. Uh This is the kind of stuff you tune in for. Wait, I wanna see a video of the rats getting cornered. We're not looking at a video of a cornered rat. Look, it's an idiom request. Here we go. Uh, the phrase like a cornered rat, someone said uh, injured snake. Uh, the, the phrase like a cornered rat has a similar meaning. Though the rat is trapped rather than injured, the idea that a desperate animal is particularly dangerous still applies. That's the point. All right, fine. Cornered rat, bizarre. Okay. Maybe you don't have rats in North Wales. <laughs> yes, poor us. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I mean, the fact is you've ended up with Donald Trump basically uh, making this horrible regime feel like a cornered rat. Therefore, they're already talking now about bombing Guam. Yeah, I know. It's... Although, what's his name? Rex Tillerson was going around the other day being like, it's all right, there's not going to be a war. So I'm kind of hoping that, like, some of the... Yeah, there's a good chance there won't, but... Yeah, I mean... I mean, Rex Tillerson's a bad, bad man. He is, they all are. But Donald Trump... Unfortunately, I mean, because his rhetoric is pretty similar to North Korea's. I mean, literally, fire and fury, like, has never been known in human history. That's a North Korean statement. Yeah, maybe he'll start, like, getting small cars to drive around with giant portraits of his face on it. (laughs) You joke, but I can can see that. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, he names buildings after himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to the Trump Hotel when I was in New York and uh, saw Eric Trump. That's That's my anecdote for you there. It's a nice ice cream parlor. Full of, full of immigrant workers, of course, <laughs> who are being paid. Now wants to deport. Yeah, so. exactly. So nuclear Armageddon. Here we come. 
Yeah. Uh, so there you go. On that note, we'll end it. Uh, on that on, on that cheery bombshell. Lit- well, literal, actual bombshell. Bombshell, which will spray radiation across most of the globe and and destroy human civilization. <laughs> oh, good times. Um, so what we're going to do, right, is we've got some uh, very exciting guests lined up. I'm not going to say who they are, um, in case they drop out and then it's embarrassing. Then we're embarrassed. Uh, but they are... Humiliated, b- if you will. Beyond that. Um, and then Rejected. I, I would prefer a nuclear war. Like just, a cornered rat. Just like a cornered rat, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are... We've got lots... Uh, we're going to get... You know, we've been on holiday. We'll get back in the swing of it. And um, and that's... You know, it's going to be great. It's going to be... It's going to be huge. Also, in September, it's Labour Conference. Which we will be going to. We will. So I'm, we're going to be doing a special from there. Yeah. Well, we, apparently we are. So Ellie's told me we are. So we are. <laughs> <laughs> I told you right now on this on this very podcast. We'll get some exciting guests for that. We could even do like a few if, you know, we get great guests. Yeah. Labour conference is... Um, a living hell. <laughs> I'm going to Conservative Party conference. Ellie isn't. She's messed up there. I genuinely can't wait because I've gone for the last two years. And they were a bit like... Yeah, the first time I went... Hello, old boy! No, but they thought it was hilarious, obviously. Um, but the first Fringe, I went, I went to a Fringe talk to, to do a, uh, like, contribute. And uh, one of the panellists went, well, First of all, we'd like to thank Owen Jones for his sterling efforts in getting Jerry Corbyn elected as leader of the Labour Party. And then the room went, Hooray! I, I doubt... Did champagne corks pop? <laughs> <laughs> now, this time, we'll just be the sound of monocles falling out. <laughs> Popping. <laughs> Oh no, Jamie Corbyn's still Labour leader. That's what's going <laughs> to I'm going to ask them, did you join Labour in 2015 to vote for Jamie Corbyn to wipe out the Labour Party? <laughs> <laughs> Monocle is popping all over the shop. Oh, I wish I was coming now. Um, anyway, um, we will be back very soon and um, it will be great. So cheers, Ellie. Thanks. And let's hope we all survive the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Just hide under a table. I don't think that'll help. Lots of love. Bye, everyone. Bye. But I don't worry about a thing Cause I know nothing's going to be alright